Well, for those of you joining us on our YouTube channel for this episode of the OHL podcast, yes, indeed, it is that time of the year. Shameless plug time of the year. As he points at his Farwell for Hire t-shirt, the month of May means my fundraising campaign in support of cystic fibrosis research begins. It runs the entire month. So again, on YouTube, get used to this shirt. It's not the same shirt. I have many Farwell for Hire t-shirts, but May is also Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month, so as I try to raise money, I try to raise awareness, and if you can see this t-shirt right now, that means we're raising a little bit more awareness. And one more quick thing, I'm sorry for our listeners that are not in the province of Ontario, but if you are, there is a Farwell for Hire 50-50 draw this year. I think the jackpot's going to be big. We're hoping it's the biggest jackpot ever to be awarded in the region of Waterloo, but we're going to start around $25,000 thanks to some seed money. So go to cf5050.ca if you're in Ontario or you know somebody in Ontario and buy a ticket right now. How about that? How shameless is that? My name's Farwell. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter, at Dan Mahar. The hell do you want to talk about? I'm done. Well, I was going to say, that's not shameless. If you're, uh, the, the effort you put in, I know, I know you don't like, like to take credit, but the effort you put in to raise awareness for the fight against cystic fibrosis and the breakthroughs that are happening, not shameless at all, quite the opposite. You're very kind, and you're going to change your tune before this podcast is too long in. In fact, let's just dive right into it on our predictions. One of us is 11 for 12. One of us is a meager 8 for 12. I wonder who is who. I... Uh, <laughs> I, I forget. I forget. It could be either of us. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I got snookered by the uh, Kitchener Rangers historic sweep in round number one and stuck with them in round two versus London. And that is the only blemish on my record so far. After six of eight in the first round, you hit two of four in the second and the Ottawa 67 slash Peterborough Peets tripped you up in the second round. But here we are down to the final four now. Yeah, and and when you think about it, the final four are not shocking, um, really in any way. I mean, if if anyone had told you it was going to be Sarnia, London, North Bay, Peterborough, uh, two months ago, would you have been surprised? So, none of that surprising. Now, admittedly, I botched a couple of those predictions. Immediately regretted a couple after making them, but but yeah, kudos to these teams for getting through because it has not been an easy road to the to the to the Memorial Cup or even to the OHL title at this point. We've got the 2-3 taking on one another in the West and the 2-4 facing one another in the East. And just real quick, because we were kind of victims of our timing on this podcast with the episodes coming out on Tuesday and round two having just wrapped up the day of release of the last episode. So round three, the conference finals are already underway. You and I are on record already, but we'll just reinforce that right now. Both of us had North Bay and Sarnia at the OHL final. So that still looks possible. Although since we're two games in the Sarnia sting have a hole to dig out of, but I'll just put out there what my predictions would have been uh, before this started. And I think you'll recognize I'm being sincere in this because I was going to pick Sarnia in six. So if I'm still saying that means they have to win the next four for that to come true. And on the other side, I was taking North Bay in seven. What was your thought? Yeah, same. I mean, um, admittedly took Sarnia North Bay as well and had uh, the Sarnia London game, our series, sorry, probably going the distance and our, I can't remember if I said six or seven now that you mentioned it, but uh, obviously North Bay and Peterborough I had going the distances, uh, just two strong teams there. So these were both destined to be long series. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. Sarnia's got a bit of a hole to dig out of for either of us to be right on this one. Well, and it's it's pretty interesting. So the Peterborough Peets hold off the Ottawa 67s, who might have been the pluckiest losers in round number two. Three third period goals in both games, five and six. But in game six, it just wasn't enough to get them back and force a seventh game. They lose 5-4 in that sixth game as Peterborough moves on. Then the Peets go on the road to start the conference final up in the Bay, and they take the first game. So they wrestle home ice advantage away from the battalion as we now await game number three. On the other side, Dan, I, I think it's, I, I guess, I don't know if I should, I'm, I'm not going to say shocked, but considering I had Sarnia in six, I certainly would have expected a 1-1 series at this point, but the London Knights just continue to chug right along. They are yet to lose a home game uh, in these playoffs so far. And I'll throw this into the mix on the West side because I find it intriguing and I, I don't love it. I think, I think their local beat writer is trying hard to generate a narrative as if the 402 series isn't enough. But there was a pre-series article written that essentially painted it as a London Knights versus the world story. And I mean, I, I guess it's fair to say, and we've talked about it before, uh, there are 19 other markets cheering against the London Knights, not necessarily for, sorry, there are 18 markets sarnia obviously cheering for this thing the other 18 markets that are not london probably just cheering against the knights as much as they're cheering if they're at all cheering for the sarnia sting but i don't know do the london knights need that kind of narrative they have dominated this league as we've documented for the past 20 years uh consistently in the upper echelons uh conference championships division banners a couple of memorial cups what more do you need i don't think well, maybe the world does hate you, but I don't know. I wasn't too sure about that narrative coming into this one. No, it's probably much the same as a lot of people in society don't like those that have the big mansion on the hill, right? When you have enough riches, okay, enough's enough. Share some of that wealth. So there's a little bit of that. So yeah, I'm not sure they can really play the narrative that it's it's us against the world. They're not exactly ever an underdog or hard done by in terms of popularity. Uh, but I do think uh, when we made the predictions, Mike, I don't want to speak for you, but I do think that people tend to overplay offense under underplay defense and undervalue defense. And I think we know we've been taught year over year that defense wins in the playoffs. And you look at London was an extremely strong defensive team that traded to add a little offense. And Sarnia was an extremely good offensive team that traded to add a little defense, but the core identities of those teams are coming through in the playoffs. And London is just so strong defensively that that's, Probably we undervalued that a little bit, thinking that I thought they were relying on a couple of young kids up front and not a lot, whole lot of offensive potency. But do you need a lot of offensive potency when when you've got that kind of a back end and goaltending? So um, once again, defense is, is proving very hard to crack when it's played properly. Put a little pin in that one, friends, because I think it'll come up before the end of this episode of the OHL podcast again. But I think you nail it. In two games... The Sarnia Sting have scored a grand total of two goals against the stingy Knights team. And I've always been a Brett Brochu fan, but coming into these playoffs, he had yet to win a playoff round. Now here he is two games away from a berth in the OHL final with the London Knights. And I would have honestly still, Dan, given the edge in goaltending to the Sarnia Sting. I'm a Benjamin Gaudreau fan. It's not to take anything away from Brochu, but... 
guy that's been to the World Juniors, a guy that's been battle tested, maybe called upon a little bit more to be slightly flashier and or more spectacular. But the fact that the Knights are clamping down on this high octane offense in Sarnia, I think speaks volumes to their commitment to defense as a team. Oh, hundred percent. And, and like you said, not to take away from Godro, his numbers are fantastic, but to prove your point, Mike, and we saw Brochu go down the last game with suspected maybe ankle injury and Mr. Bowen comes in and beat marches right on. He uh, gave up one goal in the game. Um, it, it's a team concept there. Seldom out of position. We know how hard it is to crack that neutral zone. And the recipe is, it seems simple, but you have a bunch of defense uh, in London who know how to read the play. So if you try and chip it deep on them, they can pivot with the best of them and pick up the first couple steps and beat you back to that puck. And then, of course, their, their wingers are right in position, the center with support. So when you're always structurally sound and you can skate, it gets awfully hard to find room out there uh, once you get red line in. And, and I think Sarnia, despite how potent they are, are finding that out right now. Kitchener was a fairly potent offensive team. They found it out. This one-by-one, one, London's knocking them off and no one's really finding an answer in the video room or otherwise. Do you remember way back when, at the beginning of the season? I mean, I'm just going to encourage listeners to go back and look up the OHL podcast previews the West because it would be embarrassing for me to drop the audio in here right now. But we were not the only ones, Dan, that looked at the London Knights as maybe having a half step, if not a full step back kind of season. Everybody wondered where the goals are going to come from if Sean McGurn is your big gun returning. And again, we're talking all about defense here, but the London Knights are almost making it look easy right now in the West. And we, we as embarrassing as that was, Mike, because you're right, everyone, I mean, we're not the only ones. The The Hunter brothers looked at that and thought that they didn't, they didn't go all in at the trade end, but they kind of understood that, you know, they're loading up for maybe next year or a year after having said that the thing we also have touched on on this podcast is development curve. And it is always quick and steep in London where it's not that way in every center in the OHL. So you can always take a snapshot of what London looks like in October and November and just assume they're passing two or three teams at a minimum for the rest of the way because they always curve up. So the other markets may not may not have that luxury, whereas London's always so well coached, the players develop so well, and you have so you take your Easton Cowans and Denver Barkies and kids that you might not have heard much about, not seen much of the league, and say, Yeah, they're not gonna be able to do it in the playoffs. Five months later, they're they're playing like veterans. So and they're they're finishing when they need to. They're the ones chipping in that extra goal or two that London needs to win those games two one, three one, three two. So it it's a recipe of development, Mike, and, and we've talked about that numerous times. You can say what you want about London, but when a player comes from from A to Z in the course of three or four months and your opponents go from A to F or G, you're gonna win a lot of games. It's never over a series until the team loses on home ice. So a couple of big ones coming up at Progressive Auto Sales Arena for the Sarnia Sting. On the other side, Dan, and I think we kind of touched on this last week, but the Peterborough Peets look to me like a team that's kind of figured it out, right? A bit of an enigma during the regular season. Showed their hand early in going out and getting Brennan Othman. They add more, uh, you know, with... At minimum, Owen Beck at the deadline, others coming over from the Hamilton Bulldogs along the way too, and getting some great goaltending. But the North Bay Battalion, which had to go six versus Mississauga in the first round, then seven versus Barry 
in the second are looking, they're staring down another long series as the Peets have taken home ice advantage. Yeah. And you know, when we talked about our predictions, Mike, like I think we, we were burned a little bit by that enigma characteristic of the Peterborough Peets. Cause we also both recognized very early on this Peterborough Peets team was really good on paper and probably built for the playoffs. If you look at the way their, their defense core is built and some of the, the 200 foot players they added and some of the veteran presence. So it wasn't going to shock anyone that they did well in the playoffs just kind of all year. It was kind of like, well, where is it? Where is it? Is it coming? Is it coming? It was a little bit underwhelming every time you watch them, but here we are, get to playoffs, flick a switch. And maybe there's something behind the fact that they, they still finished fourth despite that kind of pedestrian season. So you yeah, got a lot of veterans on that roster where maybe it was just, yeah, we don't have to hit fourth or fifth gear yet. So we'll, we'll figure it out when we need to. And that's what we're seeing. Cause they're, a, they're a handful now and they're coming at you in waves. They got hot at the right time. We were talking in previous weeks about Hamilton really threatening for fourth place in the last couple of weeks of the season, but the Peterborough Peets decided, no, they were going to finish fourth, have home ice advantage in the first round at least, and went on and and finished really strongly. And from North Bay side of things, I mean, look, Peterborough gets to play giant killer and knocking off the regular season champs in Ottawa. So you got to feel good about that. What I loved about the start of this series from Peterborough's perspective is that they didn't take their foot off the gas. They clearly, and this is my message straight to the Toronto Maple Leafs, by the way, as I mix narratives here, but as a huge Leafs fan, don't be, don't be satisfied with knocking off Tampa, Toronto Maple Leafs, go and keep it, keep this running. Same with Peterborough. Clearly they weren't just satisfied with knocking off the regular season champs. They go in and take game one on the road in the East final. I just like the way, and I have for the longest time, the way this North Bay team is built. I love Ty Nelson for obvious reasons on the back end. I like the additions of guys like Pasquale Zito, who went all the way to an OHL championship last year with the Windsor Spitfires, et cetera. Uh, I, that's why I still have North Bay as my prediction in this round, but boy, oh boy, are we going to see some good hockey in the East? Yeah. Well, they really match up well against each other. These two teams, they both have, Lots of depth, a lot of kind of unsung heroes. I mean, you look what Kyle Jackson's doing as well for for North Bay. They they have a bunch of players that uh, they can put on the ice in any situation. That's that's a what you need at this time of year. You saw the teams that are a little thinner. Sudbury Wolves, first round victims of the Peterborough Peets. Part of it was that you your core players tend to be neutralized by each other. So you, you need to go down a line or two or a defense pair or two. And that's where the matchups are won and lost. And, and Peterborough and North Bay were able to just overwhelm their opponents through that. And we saw it against Ottawa as well with Peterborough. So now they've kind of met each other's match, if you will. And they've kind of e- equally deep teams, if you will, I guess. And, and you're seeing what's coming out of it is some really good entertaining hockey. And it's going to come down to a mistake or a goalie that, slightly outplays his partner down the ice um, screenshot like you saw with your Leafs Mike when they won in overtime a couple times so uh, but the margin is so thin when you get to this round if you're following along carefully on this episode of the OHL podcast London's defense may come up again Kyle Jackson's name may come up again I'm not saying he is a performer of the week but he might have been in consideration for somebody on this podcast uh, before we move along and get to the the U18s and our performers of the week, I'm wondering, and I might be looking too far ahead because obviously it's still early, but if you look at the West versus the East in terms of the number of games London and Sarnia have had to play to this point, 
and the number of games, both Peterborough and North Bay, especially that series with Barry was just an absolute battle. I wonder if that factors in when the OHL final gets here. And obviously we'll be talking about that in a week or so here on the pod, but who am I? They're having a hard time getting through the East right now. Yeah. And obviously fatigue and health are massive factors as you go. And, and you see it time and again at every level, Mike, NHL, OHL, you name it. The teams that generally win championships are the teams that can just will themselves to it and have that consistent effort almost every night. And it's hard to do. Yes, you, you saw the Kitchen Rangers completely run out of steam, run out of gas after a brilliant four-game effort. You've seen it from various teams around the league. It's the teams that can find it and keep it and just force themselves to battle every night. And I think you saw Peterborough wear down Ottawa a bit. Uh, we'll see what happens with London and Sarnia here, but fatigue absolutely will become a factor. And that's where a team like London, I think, has a bit of an advantage because they play such a cohesive game, a structured game that you're not relying on two or three players to carry it. You're not relying on that full on motor. You've got kind of a little bit of a more passive conservative game. Everyone's in position. Everyone's doing their part. So you're not really necessarily burning out parts of your lineup as you do it. So we'll see, but fatigue fatigue will factor in as we go here. Real quick, I'd probably be remiss if we didn't add in here, as we record this day, uh, Rangers general manager Mike McKenzie has announced that he intends on staying in just that role. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. You and I have talked before about how important this coaching hire is for the Kitchener Rangers in this offseason, but Mike McKenzie says, hey, listen, I had fun coaching this past season, but... I want to be a GM or that's where I want to focus my energies here. He doesn't have the energies to be both a GM and a coach. And I don't blame anybody for that. I think it's a, it's a monumental task that is asked of any one person. So the big thing now is the Kitchener Rangers getting that coaching hire, right? And they say, look, there's no, there's no odds on favorite yet. So I think I might dust off my resume. I might be ready to go from broadcast booth to behind the bench, but we'll see about that. Uh, Thoughts on what lies ahead for the Kitchener Rangers. Yeah, I, I think you nailed nailed it on the head. And I think I speak for just about everyone surrounding that team, fans, media, otherwise, is that they have to get it right. They have to take the coaching search seriously, cast the net far and wide. You never know where that right resume is going to come from, but we do know there's going to be an awful lot of resumes for that gig. It's a very uh, sought after gig and they're going to get some very intriguing names. And I think in the past, and this is no disrespect to any coaches they've hired in the past, They've been some respected individuals, but I'm not sure how far that net was cast and I'm not sure how much attention was paid to the fit and the culture and how things were going to move on. So I I think someone said it best. Sometimes when you're making these hires, you got to make yourself a little uncomfortable and, you know, not necessarily just bring in someone that thinks and, and speaks like you and isn't a threat to you. Bring in someone that might challenge those views and have something new to bring to the table. But the bottom line being that I think everyone around the Kitchener team and community needs this team to get this coaching hire right and someone that's going to develop these kids and and get them on a similar sort of curve to what you're seeing in London. I wonder when you get down to four teams, if Dan and I are going to have the same performer of the week when we get to the end of this episode of the OHL podcast. We're also going to talk about the world U8 teams, uh, U18s, pardon me, did the OHL stand up and get itself counted? And how much does that do for a player's draft stock as we look ahead to the NHL draft in June. So those storylines still to come on the OHL podcast.
I don't know about you, Dan, but when I look up and down the uh, performers, the top performers from the U18s, I mean, Carrie Terrence is obviously going to stand out winning a gold medal uh, with Team USA, but there were a handful of others from the O, good or bad, that kind of jump off the ice to you, don't they? Yeah, well, I mean, you start, you hit the nail head starting with Kerry Terrance. I mean, I believe the only major junior player on that American team winning a gold medal, representing the Aquasasini Mohawk Nation pretty, pretty well there. Um, so uh, kudos to Kerry Terrance. He's probably my top OHL performer in that tournament. Uh, what a phenomenal tournament for him. I think six or seven points for him. Uh, absolutely boosted his draft stock, I would think. People saw the well-rounded game he plays. Um, and fitting it in that lineup is not easy to do. A lot of those players have played together all year. Um, on the flip side, I mean, obviously most of the OHLers were on the Canadian roster. And I'm not going to pull a whole lot of punches here, Mike. I'll just say uh, arguably one of the weaker defense groups I've seen Canada field in this tournament. Um, I know they're only selecting from from teams that have been eliminated. So the pool's a little thinner. It, and it wasn't so much on an individual basis that any one of them was, was played poorly. It's just this defense group just did not seem to be able to stop speed and, and adjust uh, on the rush. It, kind of a disappointing tournament for that decor. And I think in terms of OHLers, I think Quentin Burns was playing really well for them, logging a lot of minutes, looking strong early. Then he got injured, was out of the lineup, and they tried to make up for it with a few others. I thought Andrew Gibson acquitted himself very well, probably stepped in as the number one uh, defensive defender after that injury. Uh, a couple were uh, were hit and miss. I thought Cam Allen probably had a bit of a year he, he'll be thinking about for a while over the summer. He, did not have a terribly strong tournament, had some trouble with those uh, quick pivots and, and edges that Forge were coming at him, a few poor reads. Um, so, but he uh, obviously uh, still a highly thought of draft pick there. Up front, I mean, your boy Nick Lardis had a had a good tournament with his, uh, uh, that one timer on the power play he looks terrific. Callum Ritchie was probably the best of the group with with his nine points and your uh, your former guest son there, Porter Martone, was the second leading scorer uh, from the OHL on that team. So, a lot of a lot of OHLers relatively well. I just think as a group, they they really had trouble defending, and and we saw it in the the proof was in the pudding. They really uh, got humbled a couple times by Sweden. Didn't look terribly strong against a few of the other teams in that tournament too. So, bit of an eye opener, but great experience for those kids and and a few of them. The names we just mentioned definitely will give themselves a little draft bump. So a few little checks off the points you just made or the names that you mentioned. Uh, Porter Martone's dad, Mike, former Peterborough Pete. If you missed that episode of the OHL podcast, definitely go back and listen to it. It's got some great stories in there. Martone scored the OHL championship winning goal in overtime game seven for the Peets. And not only that, that was the year that every game was won by the road team. It was the 96 final Guelph and Peterborough. But even putting all that aside, the story about finding the stray cat on the bus is probably one of the best stories we've ever had on the podcast. Go back and listen to the Mike Martone episode. I promise you won't be disappointed. I'm glad you mentioned Andrew Gibson. I had my eye on him too. And I made a little note about him, a guy that acquitted himself pretty well, as you said, obviously plays up in the Sioux. And while we're talking of the Sioux, let's give a shout out to Ty Cartier, whose name has been added to the Sioux's wall of fame. It's outside their dressing room. It's one of my favorite arena features in the league. And if you play an NHL game, 
you get your name up there on that wall. Not only did Ty play, but he's got himself his first career NHL goal as well. And how can I not talk about, as you referenced, my boy, Nick Lardis? I hope that doesn't come across as derogatory. I always worry in this day and age, but I've been pumping Lardis's tires all season long. He had four goals in seven games in this U18 tournament. Remember that when he was traded to the Hamilton Bulldogs, what he did with the opportunity, right? Lardis had 12 goals in 36 games as a Pete. Again, on a deeper team, wasn't getting the same opportunity. Goes to Hamilton, scores 25 in 33. So if you add what he did at the U18s to that, give him 29 goals in his past 40 games of hockey and if that doesn't get you a little bit more attention from the scouts, I don't know what will as he looks ahead to the June draft. But you mentioned Porter Martone, and I'll throw Angus uh, McDonnell in there too, Dan, Absolutely. as guys that aren't yet draft eligible. Like, just imagine what their sophomore seasons could be like in the O. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Angus McDonnell because he was a 200-foot motor that whole tournament. And I just, I'm impressed with that kid every time I see him play. So I think he brings the type of game where he's – the ceiling is high or sorry, the floor is high. So you're not going to have those dud games where uh, Angus McDonnell was just invisible and didn't do much for you because if he's not scoring, he's doing something else. So terrific prospect and tournament there too. And I, uh, one name we didn't mention a lot, Mike was, uh, was one that leaves a little mystery out of this tournament, which was Colby Barlow. I know he was battling a few things in this tournament, didn't play every game. Um, So I'm not sure what he did for his draft stock here. We saw a terrific snipe from him earlier in the tournament, which kind of shows what he can do on the off foot in in traffic. Um, But then we didn't get a great showcase for him. And a lot of the NHL GMs were over there watching this tournament. So people have seen his ranking anywhere from eight overall to about 38 overall. Um, Most, most in the, between the 10 and 20 range. So we'll see where his ranking goes, but I'm not sure this tournament did much for him based on the circumstances. Yeah, and I, I find these tournaments incredibly tough. I'm glad I'm not the one trying to determine a, a future prospect's uh, trajectory because I look at these almost as all-star uh, showcases, if you will. You're playing with your peers, which changes things quite a bit. And I, I'm positive. I don't have any inside intel on this, but I'm positive that Col- Colby Barlow's banged up. And I think for him, it was just, I'd better go and show up as opposed to not showing up at all. But I think the guy is battling something right now, big time. Oh, uh, 100%. And we saw that. I mean, you don't sit out the the last couple of games of the tournament if you're not pretty banged up. And and that's why I'm saying I'm not cracking down on the kid by any stretch. I mean, it's, I just meant... It was just meant to say with his draft ranking, I'm not sure he can do much with it based on that tournament. And there was a couple kids that are going to move up because of that tournament. Um, not OHLers necessarily. There's a few on the European teams and the American roster was really top loaded. So there was a couple kids there that did uh, talk about kids that aren't draft eligible. A couple of the Americans, not to draft eligible till next year, look phenomenal. So We'll be having this conversation again next year. But yeah, I don't think Colby Barlow uh, was able to do what he would have liked to do. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but quickly, uh, our final episode for this season of the OHL podcast is going to be, uh, I don't have the date in front of me, but that first week of July, just after the NHL draft. So we'll just recap the OHLers that went and have a little discussion about that, et cetera. And then we'll all take a little break for the summer. But one of the other things, and again, not to get too far ahead, but when we're talking about Porter Martone and Angus McDonnell and the way they showed at this tournament and how good they might be, 
will be in this league, but could be as soon as next year. Are we already talking about a Mississauga team that's going to be making noise in the Eastern Conference? I don't know how we wouldn't be. I mean, you know how OHL teams often run on a couple key core players and they can drag the team into the fight. And those are two pretty good ones to hang your hat on. And then they're going to be buffered by, and there's a number of other young, I thought they had a terrific draft just a couple of weeks ago, uh, the OHL draft. They brought in some big bodies who, who are not fun to play against and a terrific goaltender. I, I think that steelhead team shaping up for two years down the road, being a force. It's going to be very interesting, but that'll all come in our uh, preview of the East for next season, when we'll say something about as dumb as we said this season, Oh, the London Knights time to take a step back. That was on our Western preview this year. All right. Uh, as we come to the end of every episode, we like to leave with our performer of the week. I've got one in the bag here because something tells me Dansky, something tells me we're coming up with the same name, but let's find out who you have identified as your performer of the week. Uh, I, I I doubt I have your guy, but I will offer if you want to go first, just so I don't. Like, <laughs> no, I've, like I said, I've got I've got my backup all set. Okay, okay, all right. Well, because I'm going to go a little off the board here, and I wanted to. So there's a, a number of players that were in the contention this week. Uh, I wanted to recognize that this time of year, what really wins games are some of those shutdown D, those stay at home. Their stats aren't going to wow you, but they're. The backbone of these teams, and they're what make you win. And and I want to just give some love to the Peter Peterborough too for the run they're having. And so my guy is Sean Spearing. I think he's just been a rock for them all over the ice. I mean, you look at some of the matchups he's had through this playoffs, and not necessarily the fleetest foot fleet footest team, whatever you would say that. Uh, and Peterborough with their defense, but they they've found the way to take the right angles, make the front of their net a, a tough place to be. And then move the puck up. You also have to have some skill to hit those forwards with speed. You've got some some guys who like to be in motion when you hit them, the Owen Becks and the Brendan Othmans. So my guy is a little off the rails, but a, a lot of love for these stay-at-home defenders that are just the backbone of these teams this time of year. So Sean Spearing is my guy. See, this is why this relationship on this podcast works then because i'm going strictly statistical for you here i wasn't looking at sean spearing and the first pass and the stay at home tough d but this is going to turn into a bit of a love affair for the lift lock city then on this episode i did give some consideration to kyle jackson of course the veteran up in north bay but i had to go with the veteran in peterborough by way of erie and that is of course connor lockhart he scores what have I got him down here for? Five goals, two assists in his past four games. But three of those goals come in the game six clincher over Ottawa. Big players show up in big games and in big moments. And Connor Lockhart did indeed. And then he scores another goal and adds an assist in the game one win over North Bay. So that all adds up to, what, four goals, five points in two games and arguably the two most meaningful to date in the Pete's season extended out seven points in four. Connor Lockhart is my guy with an honorable mention to Kyle Jackson. And the other thing, again, if you've been paying attention since the beginning, I actually considered going a little bit off the board too, but not like you did. I love the spearing pick. I love it a lot, but I was actually thinking of just giving the performer of the week to the London Knights commitment to defense because love them or lump them. And again, they'll try to tell you in London that everybody hates the Knights except people in London. And I've said this before and I will again, it's pretty boring. 
to watch. It really is. But hey, winning is fun, right? And hanging banners is fun, right? And this London team just... They are so dialed in to playing the game that Dale Hunter wants them to play. Two goals. Two goals the Sarnia Sting have scored in two games. The Kitchener Rangers, who were as high as any team would be after round one, gets shut right down in five games by the London Knights. This team is playing as a collective defense that is at least worth a a C mention here on my performances of the week. Well, and therein lies the uh, problem with the performer of the week concept when you get to this stage, right? Because you have these teams that are full of them and and, and you pick one, you neglect nine or 10 and, and you're right, Mike, it's hard to pick a performer of the week out of that London Knights organization because they all are. And you pick one, you kind of have ignored a bunch that deserve it. So that that tells you your team's playing as a team and playing well. And to some extent, we did the same with our picks this week because a lot of those Peterborough Peets are acquitting themselves very, very well. But uh but yeah, we did. We managed to find two that are that are worthy of it this week. I think we are going to be awfully close to having OHL finalists determined by the next time we sit down for one of these conversations. And if you catch our feature interview, which will be in the episode that comes out on Friday, Dan loved this guy when he was in the NHL because you were a big fan of the whiteout that he used to play in front of in the playoffs. I remember this guy for whatever reason from the old uh, Saga 92 hockey video game. I don't know why his name stands out from that, but as we bring it back to the Ontario Hockey League, a cup of coffee almost quite literally with the Kitchener Rangers before he went off to the North Bay Centennials at the time. And he tells us on the Friday episode that uh, it was in retrospect. He didn't love it at first, but one of the best things that happened to him as a hockey player. You hear that a lot, eh? It, it seems like you hear that consistently from players who had that experience. So there's got to be something to it. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this one. We we just had Craig Hartsburg on last week, former Sault Ste. Marie Greyhound player and coach, coached in Guelph. And I don't need to tell you about his NHL career, but he told a funny story about uh, playing junior B with the Guelph Biltmore Mad Hatters and getting a look from the Greyhounds and Angelo Bombacco and some other executives from the Greyhounds came down to watch him in Guelph, drove him back home to his family home in Stratford, and mom and dad wouldn't even let him, primarily mom, wouldn't even let them in the house, saying, no, Craig, you're not going up to Sault Ste. Marie, that's too far away. So there was a little bit of conversation amongst the family before (laughs) the Sioux uh, executives were allowed into the house. Ultimately, they uh, convinced Hartsburg to go up to the Sioux, and he still lives there to this day so go figure yeah sometimes opening your mind to possibilities is the best thing you'll ever do (laughs) (laughs) so it's the whiteout it's the video games from when i was a kid it's a former kitchener ranger and then north bay centennial who is our feature guest on your next episode of the ohl podcast which will come out on friday remember hit us up on twitter anytime at dan mahar just by his name i am at farwell underscore ohl Our email address is ohlpodcast at rogers.com. We look forward to hearing from you with praise, criticism, or anything in between. Thanks for listening to the OHL Podcast. Hi, I'm Emily Roger 
and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.